You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. We're going to read together the, the declaration that Zechariah um, made concerning uh, his visitation uh, with the angel there in the sanctuary where he revealed to Zechariah that he and his barren wife, Elizabeth, would bring forth the son and they would name him John and he would be the forerunner uh, for the Messiah. And uh, this was his response there. Uh, and again, it, it, is a, uh, it is a very worshipful, a very heartfelt uh, response that really kind of uh, fits any occasion. But this was the, the background uh, for this uh, declaration of praise uh, that Zechariah uttered. And we, we just say this together. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. You may be seated. Before we get into the message, I want to just uh, share just a couple of uh, upcoming uh, ministry events. Uh, in two weeks, on January 10th, we'll be doing baptisms. Um, so there is a sign-up sheet out there. And currently, I think we've got five or six people that are signed up uh, to be baptized. So if you would like uh, to do that, uh, that opportunity will be again in two weeks from this morning, January 10th. You can just add your name uh, to the sign-up there. All you really need to do is just kind of come with an extra change of clothes because we will do a full immersion uh, in the baptismal uh, uh, tub there that we'll have set up. We'll have towels, so you don't have to worry about towels. Just bring an extra set of clothing. And then just be prepared to share just for a, a few moments just a little bit about your testimony, your coming to Christ, why you're uh, being baptized. So that'll be again in two weeks. Also, um, we're just kind of promoting our strategic discipleship class. Uh, Janie and I have led one. Dan and uh, Neva Verhels have led the other group. Um, and so we just finished the first 14 weeks of that. So those two groups will continue on in the second half of year one of the strategic discipleship. And then beginning on January 10th, uh, Sunday nights from 6 to 8, we're going to be opening that up for a new group of uh, individuals that want to go through the 14 weeks that we just finished. Those first 14 weeks really comprise a basic Christian doctrine. 
Who is Jesus? Who is God the Father? Who is the Holy Spirit? The Bible? What is prayer? It really kind of just covers many of the very basic introductory uh, concepts of the Christian faith. So for those of you that maybe are are new to the faith, this would be a good time for you to kind of jump in um, and we'll kind of go through that together. If you're interested in being a part of that group, there is a sign-up sheet out there as well, or you can just see me or Janie uh, following uh, services, and we can visit with you more about that if you have questions and help you get signed up for that. So again, we'll be starting that new class in two weeks as well uh, on Sunday evening, 6 to 8. One of the aspects, I think, of the Christmas season that a lot of us were familiar with, it's something that's very common in, in most Christmas seasons, and that is that element of searching. At various points in in the time that leads up to Christmas, we find ourselves doing a lot of looking, a lot of searching, a lot of seeking, trying to locate something. We drive into malls. We're looking for the best parking spots. We bounce from store to store. We're looking for the best gift, or we're searching for the lowest price. We walk through, uh, and we're searching nurseries or tree lots for the prettiest Christmas tree. We search the recipe box. We're searching, again, for that favored or that best recipe. We walk into our closets, and we're searching for that, you know, best Christmas outfit. We surf through channels, and we're looking for those best Christmas movies. We uh, look in our houses. We're, we're maybe looking uh, and searching for those places maybe to get away from the noise and the chaos or annoying relatives. But, I mean, none of you have those, right? And finally, but not last but not least, uh, we end up kind of searching our wallets and we're looking for the best credit card to kind of pay for uh, it all. And again, that's a part of Christmas, There's always, again, that aspect of Christmas that can be a time of searching, of looking, of seeking. This attitude of searching, it's not really just relegated to the Christmas season. It really is a season. It's a part of every season of our lives. So these last couple of weeks as we've kind of been making that journey uh, toward Christmas, we've been kind of looking at eyewitness accounts of people who were actually there that night and their stories of what they witnessed, what they saw, what they heard are recorded there in the scriptures. And so we've kind of been looking at those eyewitness accounts. What did they see? What did they hear? What did it mean? And so far we've kind of looked at the eyewitness account from the perspective of the shepherds. We looked at it from the perspective of angels. Uh, Last week, we looked at it through the eyes of Mary. This morning, I want to look at Christmas through the eyes of those who were not there, though a lot of people often think they were there that night, and that's the Magi, the wise men. If you look at most nativity scenes, the wise men, the magi are are there. They're a part of the nativity, even though they were not a part of the original birth of Christ the very night he was born. And yet, we know from scriptures uh, that the Bible says that the wise men really did not come into uh, the, the, the Christmas story or the life of Jesus uh, until he was probably about a year and a half to two years 
old. And we find the story of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2, and it begins with verse 1. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophets wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the cities, the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then Herod told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me where he is so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So again, the fact that the Magi found Mary and the child uh, in a house as opposed to the stables where he was born indicates that some time had passed between the birth of Jesus and the time that the Magi find him. Again, this is based upon Herod's order to kill all male boys in the area of Bethlehem, two years uh, old and younger. And again, that's why I waited till after Christmas to talk about what they saw, what they heard, what they did, because they were not there that first Christmas night. However, I want to talk about the Magi this morning, um, not in just what they witnessed, but what they can teach us in what they witnessed. Because in this story, we have really two different kinds of searchers the Magi, and King Herod. And they really couldn't be any more different. So let's go back and let's begin to look at the story and kind of break it down and look at all of the various things that are happening in this story. Again, verse 1 in Matthew 2 says, About that time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, and they asked this question, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Now, to say that King Herod was greatly disturbed when he heard this news um, is really the understatement of the century. A better way of putting this is to say that King Herod was panic-stricken when he heard this. 
especially when we heard that question, where is this newborn king of the Jews? He was panic-stricken. He was paranoid. What, what another king? I am the only king. He's feeling extremely threatened, and he is absolutely freaking out at the prospect, the news of a newborn king. Now, why did this trouble Herod so deeply? Well, again, to understand the why, you really need to understand the historical context behind that. And, and to do that, you just have to kind of go back and read a little bit of the history that's recorded about King Herod's reign. And when King Herod was born, the operative word throughout his whole life was the word power. All power at all cost. So his father taught him not only how to get power, not only how to maintain power, but how to keep power and destroy anyone who threatened to get in his way. As a matter of fact, when King Herod uh, hit his 20s, he saw his father, who was also a king, get murdered by a coup of, of palace plotters who poisoned him. And King Herod, as, a, as a, a young man, obviously did not like or appreciate what they had done to his father. So when Herod became king at the age of 25, he throws a huge party at the palace. And he invites all of these people back who had been a part of the plot to murder his father. And then he calls in his hitmen and systematically they killed each person who was a part of that. This is how Herod began his 30 plus year um, reign and not much changed in that 30 year reign of terror. One day, uh, K King Herod, had his wife's grandmother and her brother killed. Now, just put yourself in the missus' shoes for a moment. You know, uh, King Herod comes home one day from work, puts his briefcase on the table, and, and the missus asks him, so how was your day? And he says, well, it was, it was pretty good. Oh, by the way, I had your grandmother and your brother killed. Otherwise, everything else was just A-OK. -okay. And again, that would make for some very interesting conversations and family dynamics. As a matter of fact, King Herod was so paranoid and power-hungry that he even killed three of his own sons. He killed one of his sons a week before he died because he thought his son was too, a little too hungry for power. Herod had a well-deserved reputation of being a very violent, a ruthless, bloodthirsty terrorist. Interestingly, he also had a very good side. He could be a very kind, a very benevolent uh, man under the right circumstances. He held clothing and food drives for the homeless, uh, for the Jews uh, who were also a part of his kingdom. Uh, he decided to finance out of his own wallet the rebuilding of the temple. Now, again, he didn't do this, you know, just to be a nice guy. He did this because he wanted to try to keep as many people on his uh, side as possible. 
one of the more popular Christmas movies, and I don't know if you've uh, seen this or, or not. Uh, it's an older one. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, it's one of my most favorite of Christmas movies. Uh, and there's a scene in the movie um, where Potter calls George Bailey, who's played by Jimmy Stewart, uh, at his, into his office at the bank, and Potter tries to hire George Bailey uh, onto uh, his uh, staff at the bank. And, and, and in this scene, Potter is, is manipulating George. He's offering him, you know, just all of this money, all of this power, uh, all of this responsibility. He gives him one of his, you know, finest cigars. And all of this is he's trying to lure and he's trying to just suck George Bailey into uh, taking this job. And it really kind of is all in a veiled attempt to really get control of that, that savings bank and loan that he's been after for all of these years. And eventually, uh, George Bailey kind of, you know, he, he comes uh, aware of what Potter is really trying to do, and he refuses uh, to go along. And that's kind of the mentality here uh, with Herod. Like Potter, he's doing all of these nice things in really an attempt to kind of control and to manipulate people. And so the, towards the end of Herod's life, he, he realizes he's close to dying, having uh, been sick for about a year. And so he knew that no one would really mourn uh, or cry or weep uh, because of his death, again, because he was just so deeply despised. So in one last act of evil, he invites in all of the sons and daughters of the most prominent leaders uh, in his kingdom and he throws another giant party. And he wanted to have all of these sons and daughters um, at the party killed because he knew that it would create such weeping, such despair and grieving throughout the kingdom that he could then die and the people would still be in a state uh, of mourning. So, so this Herod guy, this kind of just gives you a picture. He's really one mess up guy. So now back to our text in Matthew, we see the why behind Matthew 2, 3. Why was Herod um, so upset? I mean, here are these very naive magi. Uh, they're coming into Jerusalem, and they're just looking for this newborn king of the Jews. And I'm sure all of the inhabitants in Jerusalem were telling them to be quiet uh, because they were afraid if King Herod would hear about this, they were afraid of what he would do in response to that. And rightly so, it did get to him, and he was very, very deeply disturbed and distressed by this. So what does a guy like Herod do who is so power-hungry? I mean, what does someone do who has spent their entire life wielding power, keeping power, controlling and dominating people with power? What does he, what does he do with someone who asks him, where is the real king? It's essentially what they ask him. We don't recognize you as the king. We're looking for the real king. Where is the Messiah? So what does Herod do? Well, Herod made some appointments. 
The first appointment that he makes is he calls in the religious leaders. And in the scribes, he says, hey, guys, show me in the scriptures where is this Messiah to be born. And they tell him, according to scripture, he is to be born in Bethlehem. Now, again, it's always intrigued me, and it's always really intrigued historians and biblical scholars that the religious leaders uh, who served under Herod were uh, just a little over five miles away from Bethlehem, and never at one point do they go and visit uh, Jesus. So once Herod knows, now according to the religious people, the scribes, where uh, this newborn king um, is born, it kind of puts Bethlehem in the crosshairs uh, of, of um, Herod. He then makes a second appointment, and then he calls in now the Magi, and he says to them, hey guys, I know you're kind of into astronomy, I, I know that you're brilliant, you're kind of very aware of the natural sciences, you're wealthy, I just want you to pull out your charts, and I want you just to give me a brief astronomy lesson, because I want to know about the time this, uh, this king was born. I know he was born in Bethlehem. What I'm asking you is, I want to know when. And so the Magi tell Herod, he was probably born about a year and a half to two years ago. And then King Herod tells the Magi, he says, okay, I'll tell you what, you go, you search for him, you kind of do your thing when you're done, you kind of come back, tell me where, and I will go because I want to worship um, this king as well. So the Magi go, they find the baby, they kind of do their thing, they worship him, they present him with gifts, but as the scripture says, they do not return to Herod because God warns them in a dream to not go back, but to go a different way. Now, once Herod kind of figures out he's been dissed, he's been ditched, um, he becomes enraged. And, and this is what drove that decision where he sends his Roman, or he sends his, his, his government uh, soldiers down there, and they are instructed to kill every male child two years and younger because he wanted to get rid of this newborn king. This is King Herod. So he kind of basically does three things. If you've been following this story, first thing is, is he misleads or misused people. Okay, those religious leaders, he kind of misused them. Not only did he misuse, but he misled people. He misled the Magi. You go find him, come back, tell me, so I can go and worship him too. So he misled people. And the third thing that he did is he grossly um, mistreated people. I mean, he had people murdered, even within his own family, innocent babies. And again, some of you may be saying, well, that's a great history lesson, but how does Herod apply to our lives? Well, I believe that all of us have the potential of having a little bit of Herod in our hearts. Not to the extremes that Herod did, but we all do deal with issues that relate to power and control. If power and control is un, if it's left unchecked in our lives, 
it can mess us up and it can wreak havoc on others. So let's just stop right there and let's just ask ourselves and just do a heart check. As you look inside, as you kind of think about your life, as you think about your relationships with people, are there areas, are there relationships in your life where you tend to misuse people? Where you maybe kind of tend to see people as pawns, maybe you kind of see them, you know, as, as a ladder uh, to get to uh, a, a different place, to get to the top. You don't really see them as people that matter to God. You don't see them as people that that, you know, are valued by God. You know, there's a saying out there that, you know, we're called to love people and to use things. And, and oftentimes when we're tempted to kind of, of um, misuse people it is we want to love things and use people. And anytime we do that, we're misusing, we're misappropriating those things, those people that God has put into our lives. And, and sometimes we can just kind of see them not as people, but as objects. We see that people are there to serve us, they're there to meet our need. And that's kind of the way Herod saw the religious leaders and the scribes. He just, you know, saw them as, as people he could use to advance his own agenda. I'll use them to kind of get what I want, to get where I want to go. I mean, some politicians are pros at this. So Herod, he disrespected, he misused the scribes and the religious leaders. And again, we all have that potential to do the same thing if we're not careful. So the question of, for us is, where are we tempted to misuse people? Is it in the workplace? Is it in friendship? Are, are you tempted to misuse your spouse, your kids? And again, do, do you love things and, and uh, use people? If so, again, the new year is a great time for a reset, for a restart. And as we prepare to enter a new year, it may be time to ask God to kind of renew and to restore maybe certain areas of our hearts and lives. And again, it just starts by asking God to forgive us, maybe going to those people that maybe we've misused and ask them to forgive us. And maybe just ask God, rather than you know, uh, allowing you to misuse people, maybe now to maybe transform you and begin to give you a, a servant heart that you can serve people. And again, when, when we just repent and we ask God to change our hearts toward people, the way we treat them, the way we use them, God will give us windows of opportunity to begin to, to, to view and, and to use people the way God intended us to see and to use them. And again, when we make those changes, it will just begin to breathe new life uh, into our relationships. It'll, it'll transform people. And again, all of us have that potential from time to time to be like Herod when it comes to the way we treat people. And God wants to free us from that. In what areas of your life are you tempted to mislead people? Again, we can do that kind of just through exaggeration. You know, we can uh, white lies. We can kind of fudge the truth a little bit here and there. Or maybe we're just not totally upfront about our feelings. Do you give people that sense that maybe everything is okay, but really it, it's not? Instead of misleading people again, why not ask God 
to help us speak truth in love uh, to people and, and in honesty, to be vulnerable, to be transparent about ourselves so that we're not misleading people. Maybe you, you tend to mistreat some people. You don't kill them like Herod did, but maybe you kill them with your words. Maybe it's, you know, you kind of give them the cold shoulder or you give them kind of the silent treatment. Again, we all have areas in our lives and we're all kind of open uh, to that potential of, you know, uh, when people get too close for comfort, sometimes we'll kind of strike out in anger and in a way to kind of push them away. We cut them off or, or we just use a, a, a number of ways of kind of getting people uh, to back off. And again, we all have um, those people in our lives who for whatever reason kind of know how to push all the wrong buttons in us. It could be in the workplace. It can be uh, in your home. I mean, those people are definitely out there. Some of our reactions towards others, again, comes from past hurts, wounds that maybe we've just never dealt with or faced up to. Again, we act like everything is a-okay, but it's not. So as we prepare to enter a new year with new challenges, maybe we just need to ask God, you know, as we, as we start uh, a, a new year, is God, give me the ministry of reconciliation. And by that I mean is that you're asking God to reconcile, to restore you back into a right relationship with him and a right relationship um, with others. So Herod is the first kind. He kind of represents the first kind of searcher, a seeker there. And he's really kind of searching and seeking to maintain power and control at all costs. The Magi kind of represent a different type of seeker, um, and they're not seeking for power, they're seeking for the power. They're looking for the truth. They are looking for the way. They're looking for the life. Matthew 2 verse 9 says, after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the Christ child was. The star's kind of, I think, a very, uh, represents kind of, to me, a very interesting concept. Uh, that star that they had been following that whole time, from the beginning until the end, it led them to the Christ child. Again, these magi, I mean, they are searching, they are seeking for the one that could not only just change their lives, but could change the lives of everyone in the entire world. And I believe that every time a person is truly seeking and searching for the Christ child, I believe that when we are earnestly and steadfastly searching for the way, the truth, and the life, God has a way of putting a star in our lives that will lead us to the Christ child. And for every one of us here this morning that are followers, you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, I will guarantee you God has put stars uh, in your life that have led you to finding 
the Christ child. Again, just think back if you're here this morning and you're a Christian or, or maybe you're in that pursuit of, of searching this morning. I mean, just kind of stop for a moment and just think what are maybe some of the stars that God has used or that God is currently using kind of leading you back to that. As I look back in in my own story, in my own journey of finding Jesus, you know, one of the stars that God used for me was a Methodist pastor by the name of Stan Wearson. Uh, he's uh, passed away uh, and went on to uh, heaven. But I just remember a very, very distinct night as that man sat behind the piano, and he was a beautiful piano player. Uh, he, he was the piano player for uh, Dale Evans and Roy Rogers. A lot of you don't probably know that. If you do, uh, you're, uh, you're probably old uh, like me, like me, like me. He's a very, very talented piano player. And I just remember one night he sat behind this piano and, and he just played and he just shared the gospel in a way I'd never heard the gospel shared before. And, and God used that star, that man in my life to kind of lead me to the Christ child. And so like your story, for those of you that, that know Jesus, there were stars, there were people. It may have been a Sunday school teacher, may have been a pastor, may have been a friend, may have been a coworker. It may have been kind of a number of those people all together. God used not just one, but many stars to lead you to Christ. And again, for those of you that maybe are still searching you maybe haven't found Jesus, but you're open, you're searching, you're questioning. Uh, again, there are stars, and they may be sitting beside you this morning. They may be people that you've met or people that you will meet here shortly, and, and they'll be instrumental. God will use them to lead you to um, the Christ child. God will make himself real to you. And again, if we'll just open that door and invite him in, the scripture says he'll come. So the Magi, they have this earthbound travel guide, the star, and it points them to Jesus. Now, it's interesting what they did in response to finding Jesus. And I want to just kind of cover uh, through these very, very quickly. Matthew 2.11 says, they entered the house saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The first thing that they did was they just worshiped him. And worship is one of the ways that, again, we can kind of show our devotion, our love to God. Uh, they gave the Christ child gifts. So the video kind of talked about what those gifts there Represented, and one of them was not hummus, okay? Um, and then it says they opened their treasure chest and they kind of presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And again, the incense kind of represented the deity of Christ, the myrrh. It was an oil that they used to anoint people uh, prior uh, to burial, and it represented the fact that not only was this child born, but he was born to die for the sins of mankind. And so they, they, they give him this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were very, very expensive. These were very, very costly 
gifts. As a matter of fact, most biblical scholars and historians believe that, that Mary and Joseph were able to take these gifts uh, to sell them in order to finance the trip that they would, that unexpected trip they would need to make to Egypt uh, once Herod sought to, uh, to have the children um, killed. So it's, again, very interesting how God uh, foresaw that and, and yet provided for that. There are needs that you are going to have coming into the new year, into, into 2021. There are going to be needs that you do not know of yet. Mary and Joseph, they, I don't think that they anticipated having to make a trip to Egypt shortly after the birth of their son, but they did. They may not have foresaw or knew, but God did, and God made provision for that. So all to say that there may be some areas of need uh, that you are not aware of in the, in the coming new year. But I want you to be assured, just as God was making provisions then, God is making provisions now for those things that you will need, especially those things you have no concept um, that, that you need. And so there's this devotion, there's this dedication through their worship, through the presenting of the gifts. The third thing is found, uh, their third resp response is found in Matthew 2.12, and they return to their country by another route. In other words, they change their direction. That's the beauty of repentance. That's the beauty of humility, is we can be walking um, in, in, in absolute rebellion. We can be walking in complete disobedience to God. Repentance always offers us the opportunity to change our direction, to acknowledge, to understand, to, to gain that revelation that we are, we are walking in disobedience, we're walking in outright sin, we're walking in disregard uh, to God's ways. And again, the beauty of repentance is it offers us the opportunity for a change of direction. I believe when you truly in meet and when you encounter the Lord, you will always leave that encounter going in a different direction direction. A new year is always a good time for a reset. As we kind of close this morning, I want to just encourage you that I think maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of feeling like me. I kind of feel like a mixed bag of both. There's a little bit of Herod in me and there's a little bit of the Magi in me. And I, I think all of us, if we were honest, there's probably a mix of both of those things um, in our lives. Again, there's those ways that we can misuse, mislead, mistreat people. We don't do it all the time. We're just having a bad day or, you know, the outcome uh, looks too good not to uh, do that. And, and so, you know, we'll kind of... Uh, give in to that temptation. There's also times, again, where we have great devotion. We, we have great dedication uh, to God, you know, that we're, we're able to walk in repentance. So again, I, I think for all of us, it's probably fair to say that there's a mix in, in all of us. And I think the encouraging thing I would say to you as we get ready um, in the new year, again, as we kind of, you know, grapple with, as we wrestle with, again, kind of that mixture of both, 
is, you know, as I was kind of preparing uh, for this morning in my office, I kind of just felt like the Lord uh, just said to just encourage you. um, The the Bible says uh, to seek and to keep on seeking. Seeking is not just a one-time endeavor. It's a lifetime endeavor. So you seek, and even if you stop, even if you give up momentarily, you just pick it back up and you keep on seeking and you will find. Find what? Whatever it is you're looking for, whatever it is you need, whatever it is God is wanting to do. Keep seeking and don't give up. Knock and keep on knocking. Ask. And keep on asking. We've had a lot of challenges this last year. I think we're going to have a lot of challenges in the new year as well. And so I think that, that posture, that attitude of just seeking and knocking and asking, we're going to have to continue to do that. Maybe at greater levels than we've ever done that before. But what you'll find at the end of all of that seeking, knocking, and asking is you will find the faithfulness, the goodness, the kindness, the provision of God. Just as we have. I love what David said. David said, as an old man, he said he looked back on on his life. He kind of took inventory of his life from a a, a young child until an old man. And and he said, there was never, ever a point where God, uh, where I felt forsaken by God, where I was ever begging for bread. He saw that God was always present, always faithful, always providing for his every need. And, And David was, I mean, he was the model of seeking and keep on seeking, knocking, keep on knocking, ask and keep on asking. And that's my encouragement for you as we continue into the new year. I know some of you, maybe you've been asking and knocking and seeking uh, for the same things for a long time, and and you just feel like God's not hearing, and you're maybe just on the verge uh, of giving up. I would just encourage you, um, again, keep on keeping on. Don't give up. Don't forsake uh, doing what God has called you to do. It's gotten you this far. It'll get you the rest of the way as well. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for again just reminding us of the two different kinds of seekers this morning. And God, we want to be like those magi. We want to be seekers of the truth. We want to be seekers of the way and the life, and we know that you sent your son Jesus Christ, and he himself said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Father, for those ways that we have yet to experience the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, that we would keep on seeking and and knocking and asking God for greater revelation, for deeper understanding of who you are. God, that we would, would grow in our trust and our dependence upon your faithfulness, your goodness, your kindness, that, God, we would look to you as, as the meter of our every need. You are the provider of every good and perfect gift and every good 
and perfect gift comes from you. And we thank you, Father, that when we look at you and we seek you, there is no shifting. There is no turning, Father. You, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Father. And we thank you for that. Lord, as we uh, come to an end of a new year, Father, and as we begin to step into the new year, Father, we thank you, God, that you go with us. Father, I think of those children of Israel as they go from the wilderness into the promised land, God, you went with them. And God, in many respects, 2020 has felt like a wilderness. We don't know what we're doing here. We don't know how we got here, and we don't know how we're going to get out, but we know we are because you're leading and you're guiding. And God, you are not a wilderness, God. You are a promised land, God. And so, Lord, we seek, we look, we expect your promises to continue to follow, to overflow our lives. And, Father, we will never stop looking. We will never stop seeking. We'll never stop searching. For your ways are, are infinite. Your wisdom is boundless. Your ways are, are beyond our ways. Your thoughts are greater than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways, Father. So there's that sense in all of us where we can never stop, never stop seeking and asking and knocking. So God, I just pray for perseverance, especially for those right now who may be tired who may be weary, who may just be on the verge of giving up. I've done everything the Bible says to do. I've searched and searched and searched. And Father, this morning I just pray you'll just fill them again afresh anew with a sense of hope, of expectation that you are a God of promise and that every promise is yes and amen to your glory. So we thank you, Father, for those stars. We thank you for those people that you've put in our lives that lead us and guide us, that witness to us of your power, of your presence, of your goodness, of your faithfulness. Father, we pray, Lord, for the ways that we can be stars in the lives of other people through our witness, our testimony, that we can lead others to you. And Father, again, we just thank you that as we've looked back on our lives, Lord, that we can definitely see that goodness and mercy have followed us all the days yeah. of our lives, Father. And that because of that, Lord, it, it will continue because you never change. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you again for the declaration of your great love that you revealed to us in the sending of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as those wise men, Lord, that we would bow down, that we would worship, that we would bring a sense of dedication, of devotion in our time, our talents, and our resources, Father, that we would just come and just lay that all down at your feet. And know, God, that you desire to use that in great 
in mighty ways, Father. So we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.